Today we're going to talk about Jesus. I feel like this is a really good uh, part of the series to be on during Holy Week. But a series that I've been on is trying to communicate how your Bible, especially the confusing parts, um, is all a story that leads to Jesus. This is all about Jesus. And um, the places that are weird and confusing and a lot of stuff in there that doesn't make sense, uh, at least if you can catch the overarching storyline of the Bible, it helps you stay grounded in what this is all about. And so um, really trying to communicate what the heart of God is communicated through his scripture and how um, kind of just summary, this is if you're like, this is your first or second week, um, that's a lot to take in. That is four weeks of summarizing the Old Testament. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I can't review the whole thing. Um, but just, just trying to establish the large summary when you look from the beginning that God creates a good world and he doesn't just share it with humans. He wants to bless humans and rule the world through humans. He want, that's what he wants to do. He wants to rule the world through humans. He wants to bless humans. He wants to bless humanity. And we see that humanity does not do so well with that kind of commission. And so um, kind of summarizing what that is, God wants to bless and rule the world through humans, but there's a problem. Humans, they're the problem. <laughs> uh, and yet God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, oh man, what was I thinking? <laughs> this is just not going to work. And just scrap the whole thing. No, the rest of your Bible is how God is going to reconcile all this, but he hasn't changed his mind. It's going to be through a human. So what we need to deal with this kind of a problem of human rebellion is a different kind of human. A new human, uh, a divine human, a human that can stay so united with God that, that God's will is perfectly done through that human. And as we see in Genesis 3.15, that human is going to have to bear the load by, uh, of humanity by crushing evil at its source, but it's going to be at the cost of his life. And when you follow the story through, you see, man, just how messed up humans really are and how hard God is working to work with humans and covenant is how he works with humans. And so you have four main Old Testament covenants. Covenant is first mentioned in the story of Noah, and covenant is God's response to unreliable humans. How does God respond to humans that seem to be committed to disobedience, rebellion, and selfishness? He, he forms a new relationship with them. He forms a partnership with them. And I, you're just thinking like, that's crazy. Um, it makes no sense. And yet God, through the course of these covenants, working with people who are broken, who are sinful, who are rebellious, who don't trust him, who disobey, that God has shown himself to be faithful and he's not changed his mind. He wants to bless humans. He wants to rule the world 
through humans, and humans have proven that they are the significant problem to all of this setup. So what's God going to do? And we looked through the prophetic books last week to see how the prophets in the midst of exile in Babylon was still raising up the flare to say God is not forgotten. God is not um, messed up. God has not uh, held back his promises. There will be a coming king and a coming kingdom. There will be the fulfillment of all of these covenants in such a way that God will form a new covenant, a new people with a new heart and new spirit and flood that humanity with, with God's very own spirit to the point where it's new humans who can trust, who can obey. And you follow that storyline all the way through the Old Testament and you conclude your New Testament going, well, where is that human? In the structure of the Hebrew Bible, so the same 39 books are in the Hebrew Bible, but the structure is slightly different. I say slightly different. It's actually a lot different. Um, the last book of the Hebrew Bible, the old, our, what we call our Old Testament, is actually the book of Chronicles. And it's recounting Israel's story, focusing on two things. One, the line of David, and the other, the tabernacle or the temple and the Levites and the priests, the priests, the kings and the priests. And uh, you follow that story through and you realize that you, you've read these stories before and it doesn't make a lot of sense in our Bible because you read through Kings and then you go into Chronicles and you're like, I just read this. Um, that's because in the original Hebrew Bible, it was at the end of the Old Testament, whereas Kings is, is roughly about where it's at. But um, you follow that all the way through and you see Israel in exile, but the very last story is one of King Cyrus um, giving permission for Israel to go back to the, to the land, and that story ends in an incomplete sentence. The Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible literally ends in a dot, dot, dot. It's a story in search of an ending. A story of God's people who have proven to be unfaithful and yet God has proven his faithfulness generation after generation after generation through disappointment, through exile, through rebellion and you wonder like what's going to happen, what's God going to do and you end in a dot, dot, dot and then you turn the page and never, ever, ever underestimate the brilliance of the biblical writers. They are absolute geniuses. Uh, one scholar <laughs> that I really like calls them literary, literary ninjas. Uh, they're doing more things than you think. And so in trying to give you this whole story, I'm going to blaze through the Gospels and show you how the Gospel writers, Jesus does not just come out of nowhere. Nor is the entire story just his substitutionary death. The, the, the story is in search of an ending and Jesus is that climax to where um, the Apostle Paul in reflecting on this whole story um, says that Jesus, someone didn't lock down these wheels. <laughs> I'm gonna be pushing this all over. Colossians chapter one verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of God. Now, if you haven't read your Old Testament, you don't see that as a big deal. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. God has been working from the very beginning 
with image-bearing creatures. And a new image is going to have to come into the world and here Jesus is. He is the image of God. What humans were intended to be, Jesus is to perfection. The image of God. Look at how Matthew starts his gospel. This is the book of the genealogy, which that word genealogy is the Greek word genesis. This is the genesis of Jesus, the Christ or the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the climax of God's covenant that has been at work for 2,000 years before that. Mark starts his gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Remember, Son of God is not exclusively a statement about his divinity. It's actually, it's equally a statement of his humanity. His family line, David. Because remember, there will be a son of David who will be so close in intimacy with God that God says in his covenant with David that your son will be to me a son and I will be to him a father, the son of God. Luke, <laughs> Luke starts his gospel with a little more backstory. Mark is like, you know what? Let's get down to business. Let me just go right at it. Luke chapter one, he says this. Now, okay, so, so when you're reading the gospel of Luke, which is if, you're, if you follow the liturgical calendar, you're in year C, and year C, the primary gospel in year C is the gospel of Luke, so you'd be reading that. When you're reading Luke, you need to have Isaiah in your mind, okay? You need to have a little Isaiah there in your mind. Uh, and I want to show you how, because remember, I read a lot of Isaiah. A lot of these themes come from Isaiah, okay? I'm just showing you this. Watch, watch this. Verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, Ding, 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 ding. And the virgin's name was Mary, or Miriam. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Hold that in your mind. O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greetings this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Where have you heard that? Genesis 6, verse 8, Noah found favor in God's eyes. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and call his name Yeshua, salvation. Remember Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, you called me in my mother's womb and in my mother's womb, you named my name Salvation. <laughs> Just, 
It, just, it never ends, okay? It's, it's you never get. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Remember Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the kingdom, shall be on his shoulders. The throne of his father David, of his kingdom, he will be established and it will be forever. Look, give him the throne of his father David, son of David. Which is, you know what, this is just going to be too much fun. (laughs) And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will... Rule, he will reign. I'm going to ruin this marker. He will reign. Over the house of Jacob, how long? For forever. Forever. Put a little sandlot in there. Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Remember, the prophecy of the son of David, the king. The anointed king that will come from the line of David, whose God will establish his kingdom, will be one of righteousness and justice, will be a light to the nations, and it will include all the nations. So he's saying, this is it. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. Matthew chapter 1. Go back to Matthew. You got to have all of 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm chapter 2 in your mind, along with Isaiah when you're reading a lot of the stories in Luke. Go back, go back to Matthew chapter 1. This is the angel, uh, or Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant and he's trying to figure out what to do. Verse 20, he says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and he shall, you shall call his name Jesus, For he will save his people from their sins. Sin is shorthand for all of this that was unleashed in Genesis 3. And he will bring salvation to his people Israel and save them from their sins. He'll save them from all of this. He will take on all of their grief and their sorrows, all of their transgressions and iniquities, and will bear it into death. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that's Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Remember, like women don't conceive. The seed of woman that will crush evil requires the virgin, and the virgin will conceive to bring forth what? This human that we've been waiting for since Genesis 3.15. 
And because it's this human, it will be, remember, God returns. God is coming back to Israel. You remember the return of Yahweh to Zion. God's coming back, God with us, and here's how he will be with us through Jesus who will be born. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So remember, all that was made was made through him, and then there's a little bit of poet, poetic chiasm here that you just gotta find. All that was made was made through him. The word that made all of this was with God and, well, was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things that were made, all this heavens and earth that was made, was made by him. And there's nothing that was made that wasn't made by him. In him was what? Life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot conquer it. Verse 14, that word was made flesh, human, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there, it means to set a house up in. Also, to tabernacle in. The Word became the tabernacle or temple and dwelt not in a physical temple, but a human and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Come on. Of his fullness we've received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. This was one covenant that God worked with his people. His people proved they could not live in that reality. And so... He came among them and brought grace. Grace and truth. Grace upon grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Mark, Mark chapter 1. Remember, the good news that comes in Isaiah 52 is the gospel of peace that announces Yahweh reigns, God's in charge. And when God comes back to Israel and this gospel is announced, it will bring redemption and salvation. Hold, hold that in your mind for a second and then hold Ezekiel's new covenant prophecy in your mind and the suffering servant in Isaiah 42 as well as 53 in your mind and then just read the one story of Jesus' baptism. Mark chapter one, verse nine, in those days... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. I love Mark. Mark is not messing around. <clears throat> immediately he saw it being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. 
Remember in Isaiah 42, what would mark the servant of Yahweh? God's spirit is upon him. He names his name, but God's spirit is upon him. God's spirit descends in bodily form on Jesus. It, the, the, the word there, um, heaven's being torn open and descended, is, 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 calling, is supposed to call your mind back here to Genesis 1, chapter 2, or sorry, chapter 1, verse 2, where he says the spirit of, of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The spirit of God hovers comes, descends upon Jesus, which is, which is to mark the servant of Yahweh. Then listen to what God says. God, and then they heard a voice from heaven that said, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. God would be pleased with his servant because his servant would give his life as an offering and in that offering, he would bring justice and righteousness to the nations. There's always, 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 always more going on in our Bibles than we realize at face value. Can you see how the gospel writers are tracking with this whole story? Jump down a few verses. Mark 1, verse 15. This is Mark's one-sentence summary of all of Jesus' life and mission and message. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You need to have Isaiah 52 in your mind. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God. It's in here somewhere. I'm too many circles. Here we go. Kingdom. The kingdom of God. It's not far away. It's at hand. So all of these promises of God's kingdom being established on earth through humanity, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Re like Remember, there's forgiveness of sins about to be announced. So we need to turn from those sins, repent, and believe the gospel, the good news. What was the good news? God's in charge. What was Jesus' message? God's in charge. The kingdom of God is at hand. And it calls us to repent from our way of living and believe this good news. This good news is God's in charge. How is he in charge? Through the work of his spirit-filled son. <laughs> so... We'll go to Mark 10 here in just a second, but endlessly we can look at Jesus being a son of Abraham and how he brought Abraham's blessing into fruition. He fulfilled God's covenant. Because remember, God did not allow Abraham to walk through the bloody aisle. So God bore on himself both the commitments and the potential violations of the covenant, the consequences of breaking the covenant, he bore it himself. And so in coming into humanity through Jesus, he took on this covenant with Abraham. He is the one true faithful Israelite who trusted God. And I'll show you a couple places that kind of just manifest this trust. Because remember, there really is no obedience without trust and there's no trust 
without a heart that's full of love for God. It's all going to come down to the heart. The heart creates a love for God. Our heart is soft towards God, love for God that then turns into a trustful relationship and we prove that trust through obedience and Israel proved they couldn't do it. And Jesus becomes the one who fulfills it on their behalf. Remember, my servant Israel. Remember, his servant bore Israel, the full vocation of Israel, on himself. He was Israel on Israel's behalf. And he's the true son of David. And you can just, you just follow this. We don't have time. It just, you just need to see him as the summary of all of that. Mark chapter 10. Verse 42, Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So he works out his rule by being the servant and leads his people in the way that if it's not going to be so among you. You're not going to use your rule for selfish gain. You're going to follow my leadership and you exercise your rule by being a servant. Whoever would be first among you must also must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Remember in, in Isaiah 53, he, he was a ransom for transgressors. He, he gave his soul, he gave himself over to death as an offering for sin into death. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 53. He sees Isaiah, he read Isaiah 53 and says, that's my mission. Jesus is the one who says, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, an offering for what? The transgressors. It's going to require his life to defeat evil by giving his life over to death. He sees himself in that. When he reads Isaiah 52 and 53, he sees himself. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. But only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he wills. Remember, in this obedience and trust and love and our heart, you have uh, Moses that he says, choose life. I lay before you life and death. Blessing and cursing, good and evil. God, it's an open book test. Choose life. And all of Israel chose death and cursing. And so the one who bore Israel's vocation on himself has the son-father relationship of complete, I'll just, it's worth writing separately. 
trust. The son can do how much on his own? Nothing. I would say if there's anyone who could do something, it was Jesus. But yet, remember, he's not just being human for his own sake. He's being human for all of humanity's sake. And so the only way this is going to work is if this father-son relationship is perfect in trust. What has God only expected through every generation? Trust. Humans are at their best when they do nothing. <laughs> We're always at our best when we just trust. That's all that God has expected in every generation. And Jesus says, you guys are terrible at this. The son can do nothing, nothing on his own. But he, there has to be this father-son connection in such a way that, remember, this relationship that has been severed has to be restored. And the only way to do that is there to be a perfect trust and obedience. There is no trust if you don't obey. And you can't really obey without trust. Which means you're going to need a new heart for that. But to do that, guess what? That's life. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and does what? Believes. Whoever hears my word and believes, remember the context is that this father-son relationship is perfectly mirrored in the words and actions of Jesus. And Jesus is saying the father gives life to whom he wills. Well, who does he will to give life to? Verse 24, you hear my word and you trust you believe that I am the one the Father sent. He does not come into judgment, but has, past tense, passed from death to life. What has all this been about? Trust. Humans are at their best when they do nothing. It's always been about trust. Always. All of these covenants have been about trust. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. It was asked, what's the most important commandment? Jesus answered, the most important commandment is, and he quotes the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. From this covenant, he says, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall do what? <sighs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Oh, but, but the second is this. It does nothing when you just say you love God with everything. It has to work its way out and say you cannot divorce these two because the, the most important is this. The most important one is this. Love God. Oh, but the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, we, we've proven we can't do that. 
So we're going to have to get something fixed to be able to do that. But it doesn't make it less important to say this is the whole thing. Oh, you want to know all of this? All this, every bit of this, love God and love others. That's all this. Matthew quotes it and says, on these two hang the law and the prophets. Hang. So like there's a, there's a, there's a hook that every bit of the law will fall apart if not anchored or hooked, hang, hung on these two things. Love God with everything and let that work its way out into love for others. You lose that, you lose everything. But we've proven we, we don't know how to do that. We're not able to do that. It's because we got a hard heart. Luke 22. Passover. We're going to have, not everybody has to do this, but tomorrow night we're going to do a little mini Passover meal. And it's not going to be super serious or uptight because let's face it, we don't know what we're doing. But, (laughs) but, uh, hope to portray and show how what we do in symbolic faith and action at the table of the Lord has so much meaning behind it. So we're gonna, we're gonna, but this is, this is where he, he, he quotes from that. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Remember, he, he gives his life as a ransom for many. He gives up his life as an offering for sin so that the transgressors can be forgiven and he make intercession for transgressors. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant. This this cup is the new covenant. Uh, N.T. Wright, it's not an exact quote because, well, he's really articulate and it's hard to remember exactly what he says. Um, One of my favorite scholars He says, when Jesus was trying to make sense of what he was about to do in in the cross and the resurrection, when Jesus was trying to make sense to his disciples about, about what he was about to do, he did not give them a theory. He gave them a meal. How much are we caught up in all sorts of arguments and debates about theories and theologies when Jesus is like, come on, y'all. Remember, through the action of this suffering servant, all of these covenants would come to their completion and fulfillment in this suffering servant. And he says, my body broken for you And my blood shed for you. We're going to need a better cross than that. Not much better, but it works. I'll just, I'll write it. Apparently I'm better at writing words than drawing pictures. What Jesus is trying to make sense of is he says, my my body, my life given, it's for you. It's not for me. It's for you. You gotta have all of Isaiah 53 in your mind that 
It was our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities he was bearing, not his own. He says, this is my body, it's broken for you. My blood is the new covenant that is for you. What he does is he takes all of this evil, sin, brokenness, rebellion, he takes it into death with him. And there, nailed on a tree, and his blood that was shed, all our sin and rebellion and the curse, all of our griefs and sorrows, all of our transgressions and iniquities, gets crushed. Remember, Genesis 3.15, he will crush your head. He'll crush evil at its source. How will he do that? He says, I will take all of the brokenness of humanity. I will take all, all the evil, and I'll take it into death with me. He'll give, it will be at the cost of his life. And he says, my blood that is shed, in other, uh, some of the other gospels, he says, it's for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, that will form a new covenant, a new relationship, a new partnership with God. That all of these other covenants was simply signposts pointing to the reality. And he says, my work on the cross is that work. And it's for you. But remember, this is costly. And it means that the suffering servant is going to have to be completely given over to the will of God. Because what have humans proven? They will not. We will do our own thing. And Jesus is fully human. Later in Luke 22, look at verse 40. This is his prayer in Gethsemane. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you will not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Agony. Agony. To do what? Trust. And? Obey. To do that, it took a servant who will execute the will of God perfectly. Which means he has to be fully surrendered to the will of God. And remember, in Isaiah 53, it was the will of God to crush him. And he says, I don't want this, but I will trust you. And I will obey. And he's already said, it isn't for him. He's giving his life as a ransom for many. 
and not to, we've got Thursday, tomorrow, and then Good Friday, so we'll talk more about that. So fast forwarding to the really good part in the resurrection, not only did he, he take our sin, our grief, and our suffering into death with him. I think it's worthy doing it green. That is an empty tomb, <clears throat> sort of. So not only did he take our evil, our sin into death, it went into death with him, but he came out of death in the resurrection. Which means his death killed all our evil. And then Luke, oh, I just, I love Luke, okay? One of my favorite stories is uh, The Road to Emmaus. And I don't want to read the story, but just like, oh man, because it's just too good. Uh, he nonchalantly joins disciples who are really down. I mean, think about it. All their hopes were in this Jesus being this conquering king, but it, had, it, it, it made no connection that it would have anything to do with the cross. And so for all they knew, it's over. All our hopes, they died with him. And they're walking back after the Sabbath on, on Sunday morning. They're walking back to Emmaus. And Jesus just sort of nonchalantly just like shows up. Just like walking with him. And he's like, hey, you guys seem a little down in the mouth. What's up? And they're like, are you the only, are you the only one in Israel? Doesn't know what's going on. And he's like, huh, what sort of stuff? He literally asked him, what things? I, the resurrected Jesus can play coy. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> they don't recognize him, and, and they go off like, oh, we just mentioned this, this. There was a prophet, Jesus, and man, my goodness. He was mighty in word and deed, powerful, powerful stuff. But, man, all of, all of the leaders just had enough of him. They killed him. And it's, now it's, it's like it's been the third day since these things. It was just like we just don't know what to do. And he calls them stupid. It's awesome. He's, the English translation softens it and says, oh, foolish ones. And he goes, you guys are like super stupid. <laughs> and he goes on a little Bible study, which has taken me like four hours, you know, four messages to get to this point. But look at what he says. He appears later in, in chapter 24. He appears to all of his disciples in the upper room. He just appears. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm a little hungry. What do you, what do you got to eat? <laughs> I just, the, the Luke 24 Jesus is awesome, okay? He's got some sarcasm. He plays coy. It's awesome, okay? And then he, he's hungry. <laughs> he's like, hey, you got any fish? Uh, and they give him fish, and he's just like, this is good. Like, I mean, you think they, like this is a resurrected Jesus, and then this is what he says, verse forty-four, Luke twenty-four. And then he said to them, "These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you." I just, I love how even a little demeaning he could be. I, I've already said this. That listen, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Apparently, when Jesus read this story, he said. This was just all about me. And then it says, the open their, what a Bible study. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then look at this. This is Jesus' summary. So he says, this everything is written about me. 
all of this, it's all about me. And he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And then, what, then he gives the summary of this whole story. He gives the summary. This is his summary. Thus it is written, Jesus is not quoting an exact verse. He's saying, everything that's written is this. Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you're witnesses of these things. And, and this series is my attempt to maybe hold a candle to that summary. Because I have read this Bible, and I would say, most of the time when I read this Bible, I don't go, I don't walk away going, you know what this is all about? That the Christ should suffer and rise on the third day, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached in Jerusalem and then to all nations. I didn't get that summary the first time. <laughs> but Jesus just assumes you, you get it. That all this, it isn't just about him loosely. It's specifically that there would be a suffering servant, a human, that would be a messianic or anointed figure that will suffer and die, and that in him being raised from the dead, there would be repentance for the forgiveness of sins preached to all nations. I don't know how close I got, but like, I, like, that's what this is all about. Jesus thinks that's what this is all about. That like humans have proven to be terrible. Like over generation after generation after generation. And God's love and his grace has been unaltered through human history. He forms covenant with, with broken and sinful people. They continue to break it. They continue to rebel. And somehow God takes all that evil and turns it into good through the suffering servant who gives his life as an offering for that evil. The innocent one dies on behalf of the evil and by dying on behalf of the evil, he takes evil into death with him. So that, as Isaiah 53 says, so that he would be able to make the many righteous. Make the many righteous, not by being able to figure all this out and follow all the rules and be perfect. That's never gonna happen and God knew it was never gonna happen. And so he took it on himself in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. Is it, there's, there would be a, a, a messianic figure who would die and suffer and it would make new humans. So that there would be repentance and forgiveness of sins. Not because you guys are awesome, but because you repented. And that like you just got to trust. And it's not just for you, Israel. Remember, this is for the whole nations. Remember, what does God want? Remember, from Genesis 11, God wants to bless humans. He wants to bless the nations. But the nations are in rebellion. What is God's attitude towards these rebellious nations? Find a way to bless them by having a covenant people. His covenant people have proven to choose the curse. So he takes on the full vocation of his covenant people on himself and bears the penalty for breaking the covenant. Remember, he's the one who walked through the bloody aisle, not Abraham. 
He bears the penalty for his covenant people choosing evil and a curse. He bears the curse. What, what, what um, the apostle Paul will say later is that by hanging on a tree, he took the curse of the law into it. He became a curse on behalf of his people that have lived under a curse, chose the curse themselves. He bore the penalty of that. He bore that curse himself. And by taking it into death, when he was raised from the dead, our evil, our sin, our rebellion, our curse stayed in the grave in death. And he was raised to new life. Colossians chapter 1. Paul says it like this. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. That's a nice summary of how stupid and rebellious we really are. Alienated and hostile in mind. He's being nice. You just read this story and you think, humans are a little worse than alienated and hostile in mind. They're idiots. They're rebellious. They're self-righteous. They're evil. And he's like, yeah, God knew that. Doing evil deeds. He, that's Jesus, has now reconciled in his body, given for you, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you what? Holy and what? Blameless and what? Above reproach. Yeah, we, like there's no faking it. This at our best, this is what we do. We rebel. We get arrogant and selfish and self-righteous at our best. And yet, even in our alienation and evil, Jesus takes into his body that evil and now because of his death, he now has reconciled, restored the relationship and has made us holy. How did he make us holy? Because we're awesome? No, blameless. Remember, the key words are there, guys. Blameless. What made Noah blameless? Being perfect and sinless? No, he trusted. That's what made him blameless. That's what made Abraham blameless before God was not sinless perfection. It was trust. It's all about trust. It's all about faith, believing him. And above reproach, meaning we can own up to the fact that we have messed everything up. And what has made us above reproach is not us being above reproach. It's Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's talking about people who, who have, have willingly blinded themselves. Um, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, those who don't trust in him, to keep them from seeing the light, key words here, light of the good news, the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. He is the human that all humans have failed to live up to. A full reflection of God's glory. Remember, I just taught this a few Sundays ago. I say a few. That was a number of Sundays ago. Like a month ago. Okay, I've taught it re semi-recently. Remember, glory is one of those Christian words. We don't know what it means. We just say it because we feel like it makes us sound more Christian. But remember, glory is the physical manifestation of God's character. And what Paul is trying to say in very condensed language is that it is, 
It is the light of the good news of the glory of God revealed in this anointed human, Jesus. The one human that all humans were intended to be but have failed to live up to. The one human that revealed God's glory. Remember what John says, full of grace and truth. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Oh, thank goodness. But Jesus the Messiah as Lord. And he means that as a double entendre. One word that has at least two meanings. Maybe a triple entendre, but that's for another story. Lord, king, ruler, Lord, but cleverly, Yahweh, the Lord. What we proclaim uh, is Jesus, the human, as king, not just any king, the one messianic king, the suffering servant king, who's also the full glory of Yahweh. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts, talk about new heart next week, has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge. Remember what tree did we participate in? Not the good one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're not good at defining good and evil for ourselves. So the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus the Messiah, the glory of God in the face of Jesus the Messiah, the presence and countenance uh, and, and glorious manifestation of God is the face of Jesus Christ. All that Jesus is reveals from the very beginning what God intended. And it is the glory of God that is delivered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's really, it truly is all about Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, that we also see a new covenant, which Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says that we have that new covenant and it's established on even better promises through Jesus Christ. There's just, I mean, next week we'll talk about you, but I, you're not the point. <laughs> Jesus is the point. But when we put our trust in him, I've still got some whiteboard space to fill on what that means. And I'm telling you, it's simply this story continued on all the way into new creation. But truly, 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 this really is all about Jesus and we should never underestimate how much it's about Jesus. And what Jesus did for us that we could not and just will never be able to do for ourselves. And he says, everything I'm doing, it's for you. It's for you. It's to reconcile you. It's to deal with human evil.